leadership is about more than getting the job done. It's about taking care of your people, the people who you lead. Nehemiah gave us a lesson in that. In a passage that I preached a few weeks ago at Grace Evangelical Church in Congo Town, Liberia. I hope you'll enjoy it. My name is Gene Brooks, and you're listening to Voices Along the Way. invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7, we continue to go through this amazing book about an amazing man who is a shadow of Messiah who is to come and also teaches us many leadership lessons. And so today we're going to see several lessons about leadership from the book of Nehemiah. Think about Nehemiah at this point. He had plenty to be proud of. The wall was completed in 52 days. Unbelievable. We see that in chapter 6, verse 15. And so Jerusalem now stands as an amazing testimony to the faithfulness of God. Nehemiah had empowered people to victory despite stiff opposition, fearful opposition. Uh, laying brick with one hand, a sword in the other hand. And they had encountered great opposition and had succeeded. So the Jewish exiles were fulfilling the promise of God that Jerusalem would be a praise in the earth from Isaiah. And so the passage in front of us today finds Nehemiah and the exiles on the other side of accomplishment. And being the leader that he is, Nehemiah now begins to build a team to move forward with the most important thing now. What, what, was, what was that? What was the most important thing? Wasn't the wall the important thing? No. The wall was for what was important. It prepared the way for what was important. And that was people and the future of the city of Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, people, not buildings, not walls, today remain the focus and the continuation of God's work. That's what he's focused on. He's not worried about beautiful church buildings. He's worried about the people who worship inside them. They are the church. So turn with me. You look with me in Nehemiah chapter 7 this morning. We're going to begin, and I want to show you a couple of uh, key truths. The first, the key truth I want you to, to see this morning is that Nehemiah wrote, Nehemiah 7, to teach Israel that providing for the people and the future of Jerusalem was important. And the key application I want you to see is that today I want to show you that from God's Word, what God's Word says about how great leaders value people. And do we have a PowerPoint today? Oh, I sent it, I sent it to you. Late last night, I sent it. 
on your own email. Okay, so I have it on my machine if you need me to um, load it. Okay, our first, um, the first part of this message today is that visionary leaders empower faithful people. This is from the first three verses uh, of chapter 7. 7, 1 through 3, visionary leaders empower faithful people. Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, read this way. And the wall had been rebuilt and set, and after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. And while the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them, and also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. So in this section of this, we see that a visionary leader empowers other people, a faithful people. He looks for faithful people and empowers them. You see, they had built the wall in 52 days. And the significance about the date that they ended in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 15, the 25th of Elul. Elul is the name of the month. Um, on, that 20, on the 25th day, if you count back 52 days, you arrive at the date of uh, the 9th of Av. The Av is the name of another month, the previous month, two months earlier. The 9th of Av. The 9th of Av is a very important date in Jewish history. That's the anniversary of the destruction of the temple. That was the day Nebuchadnezzar came into the temple and destroyed it. And also, more recently for Nehemiah's time, it was the date which Haman had, suggest, had selected for the destruction of the Jews in Persia. And so they had avoided the destruction there recently, in the recent past. In fact, uh, Queen Esther may have still been living when Nehemiah came uh, to, to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And the Queen Mother uh, Esther may have had some uh, strong influence in helping... Uh, to direct some Persian tax funds to help rebuild that wall and to help, uh, and help to send Nehemiah back that direction. We don't know for sure, but at least this uh, heritage of the Jewish people in Persia was, uh, was favorable to be rebuilding the wall. So he keeping focused on his purpose, Nehemiah is once more an example for some of our churches today. I'm talking about those churches where the organization and the hierarchy and the administration and the ceremony and the pomp have become ends in themselves. That it is all about the preacher and it's all about the service and it's all about the church building. And the leaders have forgotten that their job is to serve the community and to serve God's people, and to serve the king, and not to be served. 
And Nehemiah is an example of that. And I want you to notice in verse 2, he appoints two people. You can read it, uh, some people interpret it, reading it as one person. But most uh, of what I read said that there were two people here, which I think is significant. Nehemiah had, had completed work on the walls, but there were so many challenges that remained. The city's security was not sure. And so Nehemiah took important measures to attend to this because he was planning to go back to Persia eventually. So Nehemiah communicated clearly to these leaders and he began to appoint a variety of people to solve a number of challenges that he saw. And outstanding among these leaders that he appointed was first his brother, Hanani. Hanani was the brother who came to him in Susa and said, you're not going to believe how bad things are in Jerusalem. There's not even a wall there. They're completely defenseless. And so that began the series of events with prayer and then going before the emperor and then coming to build the wall. And his brother apparently returned with him to help him rebuild the wall and was uh, a leader that was serving under him during that time. Hanani means gracious. And, uh, and so Hanani, Hanani was there and, and Nehemiah appointed him mayor of Jerusalem to oversee the administration of the city. And then there was another man named Hananiah, similar name. That's why some people think it may be the same person. But it looks to me and some number of commentators that this is a second man who happened to have a similar name, Hananiah. And that name means the Lord has been gracious. So it adds the Lord. So you have gracious and the Lord has been gracious is over the city of peace, Jerusalem. And, and now Ananiah is appointed as commander of the Persian fortress that's north of the temple. So <clears throat> this man, Hananiah, was well known for what the NIV calls integ having integrity. The King James um, says that he is uh, a man of truth. Literally, he, was, he is truths on man. The, the way the construction of the grammar is set up in the original language, it was he is an example of what truth, a man of truth is about. He, he does things right. Being faithful and fearing God. So therefore, Nehemiah has now appointed two faithful men, one to the south over the city where people live, whose name means gracious, and one to the north over the temple area, whose name means the Lord is gracious. Wow. The Persians have, <clears throat> would often employ many military commanders throughout the empire with Persian troops garrisoned under the command of the local governor. And so this is uh, Nehemiah being the governor. Now Hanani is the mayor, and he has Hananiah commanding the security forces. Good leadership, my friends, is not about motivating just motivating and organizing people to get the job done. Good leadership involves sharing authority, empowering other people, delegating responsibilities to people who can be trusted, and communicating clearly what you expect from them. There's something else here about Hanani. Poor management has ruined many churches and many Christian ministries in Africa. Too often, people are appointed to positions 
out of favoritism or out of some connection without considering their real ability to do the job. We should never allow ethnic or regional or financial considerations or family considerations to take the lead over a person's character and their integrity and their ability to be transparent. That means that you can see what they're doing. They're not hiding anything. And their ability to do the job right in the right way. Nehemiah also saw the security situation for uh, Jerusalem and set a schedule for the opening and the shutting of the gates. Normally the gates would have been opened at sunrise. And he ordered, but he ordered these gates now to stay shut until the sun is hot in the sky. He appointed city security for private homes um, as they were built. So <clears throat> centuries before, King David had assigned Levites to guard the temple gates in 1 Chronicles 26. Now Nehemiah is appointing gatekeepers and singers and Levites to the additional job of guarding the city gates, not just the temple gates, but the city gates. This is really important. It's there, I find something interesting here. He, in addition to these gatekeepers, who that's job, their job to open and close, he adds singers, brothers and sisters, worship guards the gate to God's presence. And he appointed Levites who were to serve in the temple and he had them serving at the gate. Brothers and sisters, service is the gate to God's goodness. And so when we see that, just like Nehemiah's Jerusalem, Christians cannot relax, but we must be watchful and vigilant. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour them. And so not only do we see that visionary leaders empower faithful people, but from verses 4 to verse 65, we see that servant leaders care about faithful people. They care about faithful people. Look at verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. And this is what I found written there. And he says, and this is a document. He's recorded the document. It says, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, and gives a list of other elders that came back. Zerubbabel being chief among them as the governor, the first governor. And he appears as well in the family line of Joseph, the father of Jesus. And so legally, he was an ancestor of, of Jesus, our Messiah. And so here we see this list of this temple archive. Uh, Nehemiah was looking at this. The wall was finished. The city was spacious. But there were very few people and few housing structures. There were some homes inside the city. We know that from Nehemiah 7.3 and Haggai verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 4. But more houses were needed to increase the security. I remember after the war here in Liberia when you arrived north into Bone County. And when you get to Phoebe, 
You know, notice Cuttington Lord had taken all of the zinc off all the roofs at Cuttington and all the houses all along the road. You see the zinc had been removed and they were unable to live in the houses, right? And so as we went along, we, we, my wife and I, when we were here that, this first time with Samaritan's Purse, we were praying about what we can do. How can we get people out of the IDP camps? They're, they're there and they're comfortable. No, not really comfortable. But they're there, and it's a place that they've gotten used to, right? In that little, tiny, small space with 75% of a roof provided by WFP. You remember that? When they put a tarpaulin, didn't even cover your roof. You remember that? And so, so they, but the people were, were comfortable there, and they were got, they'd gotten apathetic and I think fearful to go back. So we devised a plan to, to say to churches, if you can move your people back, we will provide the zinc and, and build a wall up. We'll provide the zinc to put over the roof of your church building. And that was one encouragement to help people move back. And I can't remember how many people I helped out of my pocket to help them put zinc on their roof back in the village so that they could, they could move their family back. This is the same type of thing Nehemiah was. The war was over, the, the, just like when the war was over here, this place was devastated and it needed a way for people to move back into the city because the city was devastated. And so those homes inside the city, they were needed. More homes were needed to increase security. And all the, after all this tremendous work of God's people and building the wall and the faithfulness of God in protecting His work and fulfilling His promises, the city needed to be filled with people. To be filled with commercial activity. But it was empty. And so God gave Nehemiah the idea to call together the leaders of the regular people to register them with the goal of resettling the city. And so in this, so with, when all of this was going on, Nehemiah was looking for the genealogical record of the first ones to return. He wanted ethnic Jews to move into the city. People he could trust. Faithful people. People who had been run out and they were coming back to claim their own land. And so he obtained the temple archive, the list of those who had returned 93 years earlier with Zerubbabel. Now this list is also found in Ezra chapter 2 with a few differences in the numbers and the names. Now when you look at this and you compare the list of the returnees in Nehemiah 7 and the returnees in, Ezekiel, in Ezra chapter 2, we find a lot of similarities, but we also find differences in names and numbers. Does that mean that there's a discrepancy in the scripture? Does that mean that there's an error in the text? No. The list was, that was made in Ezra 2 happened in the year 458 in Babylon for those people who intended to immigrate. Nehemiah's list was made many years later, several years later in 444, 14 years later, of those who actually did immigrate. Now, when you make a list at one point and 14 years later you make another list, names are going to change, especially when you've got different people speaking different languages who are writing the names down. For example, when we go do a medical outreach with ECO, I will ask for the pilot with, uh, if we're having to fly our team in, I'll ask if the, what is the, how do you spell the name so they can find it on the map so that the pilot can find it to know where to land? 
<laughs> and always you get, and so at one, one town we had a Pele town in Gola, in the Gola forest, and I had a Basa man, Moses Pei, telling me how to spell a Pele word that was in Gola forest, and I had Golas, and I had Basas, and I had Pele's, all giving me different spellings for the same town, right? Because their ear heard of something different. It's the same thing in the text of, between the two lists. And I, don't, I won't get into the details, but that you have different names. You have R's and L's. And some people hear R, the sound R, and some people hear the sound L. And so that's because of the way we make sounds with our mouth. Uh, and those things happen in changing uh, languages and writing things down. Also, people are born. People die. Life happens over 14 years. That means there's going to be different numbers because there are different years that the numbers are counted. And different numbers in these lists, differences in the names, don't, don't make it look like, oh, there's some error in the text. No, it should strengthen your encouragement in the inerrancy of Scripture because it's the best, this is actually the best evidence that it's inerrant. Because if it were exactly the same, then you would be questioning, wait a minute, uh, 14 years difference, did somebody go back and copy something trying to make it look right? Or did they write it down exactly as it was at that time, and those two witnesses are actually the inerrant text of Scripture? That's what we see here. The genealogical records have been kept for each group of returnees that were used to authenticate the true identity of the people, especially those who were going to serve in the priesthood. So not only does that strengthen the, our, our, our faith in the inerrancy of Scripture, but it also strengthens our faith in the fact that God fulfills His promises to people. These genealogies are a testimony to the faithfulness of God. They, his covenant promise all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is being fulfilled. His promise to the prophet Jeremiah that a remnant would return to the land was being fulfilled. And this development of these people having come back is, is a testimony to the peoples who watched this happen and to the Jews who were still living in Persia. Hey, we're here. God's fulfilling the promises. You need to come back to the land and help us build it. Amen. You know, and I think about that with a lot of people who are abroad from, from Liberia. When I see them, I say, hey, you don't need to be running to America to, trying to find your ease. You need to be coming back from Europe. You need to be coming back from Asia. You need to be coming back from America. And you need to be building this country. This is your home. This is the place of your ancestors. This is the place of your heritage. Build it. These people who came out, that list that we see beginning in, in verse 8, and you see all the names and the numbers running all the way down to 63, 64, somewhere along in there. We see this list of those who returned with, with Zerubbabel. Notice that the list first lists the Jewish uh, exiles by name from verses 8 to 25. Then it lists men of certain towns and villages from verses 26 to 38. The third group is priests, the fourth group are Levites, the fifth are singers, the sixth are gatekeepers, the seventh are temple servants, and then uh, the, the next one, I think eighth, is the descendants of the King Solomon's servants, 
And, those with a, and then the last group is those that didn't have any genealogical records, but they just came back anyway because they were fired up about rebuilding Israel. I almost said Liberia. So we have Jews, those in geographic areas, worshipers, royal servants, and we have undocumented people. So these people are the pioneers. They're the ones that were the first to return. They knew their road would be hard. They were accomplished and talented people in Persia. They, all of them left some sort of settled home in Persia to which they were accustomed. Some of them left very lucrative businesses. Uh, remember, there are jewelers among the, the, the pioneers of this group. And there were a few who had positions of wealth. They encountered struggles and dangers and dirt and bugs. And, 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 and they, were, they did without... They didn't know, not knowing with certainty if they would even be successful. But they were men and women whose spirit God had raised up to go and build the house of the Lord, which is Jerusalem, Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. They were people of faith, and they were people of the word, and they believed the prophets, and they anticipated a glorious future for Jerusalem and their nation. They loved their God. They loved their nation. They loved their country. The priests particularly distinguished themselves by the large numbers of them who returned as compared to that with the other people. Their, their leaders had sacrificed under heavy responsibilities and they undertook great, uh, great care in doing those jobs. Others followed later, but these people were the pioneers who led the way. And Nehemiah wanted to make sure that they received what they earned. You see, shepherd leaders care for faithful people. They see who they are, and they watch after them. We would do well to honor those who go first, who pioneer the work, who lay the foundations, who work when it's hard, who make the way smoother for the rest of us. We do well to make sure that they are not forgotten and that they receive what they deserve for their efforts. And then I want to point out one group that's listed here in verse 46 that it's easy to pass over because the NIV does not make it clear. Uh, the King James word for, we have in the NIV says, verse 46, the temple servants. In the King James it says, the netanim. The netanim. Netan, from the root word netan, which means given. So it's, these are the people who are, those who are given. Meaning, with the connotation of those who are servants. And so... The NIV says temple service. These people, according to Bullinger, the theologian, were the descendants of the Gibeonites and other foreigners. Mentioned in Ezra 2.58 and 8 verse 20. These are the guys who tricked Joshua back in the day into a treaty. Do you remember that? And now there they are, after the exile, still a grafted in part of a group of God's people. A picture of Romans chapter 11 and a picture of how our God is a missionary God. These people had no part in the promises of God. But because even that they tricked their way into the people of God, God received them in his graciousness. And they have returned now having worshiping the God of Israel. And they are on board to come back and rebuild the nation. They have integrated themselves into the people 
And they are excited about what God's going to do. And they are there to serve. Now I want you to notice in verse 64 and 65 that there were a group of people who were excluded. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor, therefore, that's Nehemiah, ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there should be a priest ministering with the Urim and the Tumim. Now, the register of the first returnees from Babylon under Nehemiah, we've said that. There's this sad note here at the end. That there were priests who wanted to serve. They searched their records, but they could not find the documentation to prove their background. They're therefore excluded from the priesthood. Now, there's a curious verse that comes after that, this verse. The governor instructed them not to eat any of the sacred food until there was a priest who could consult the Urim and the Tumim. That word, the tra our English translators didn't know what that, those things were. And so they just took the Hebrew word and made it an English word out of it. They didn't even translate it. They didn't even interpret it. They just said, we don't know what it is. We're going to take the Hebrew word and make it an English word. It's in Hebrew, it's Urim. In English, Urim. Tumim, Tumim. Nobody knows what that is. No, Urim, the word Urim we think means, the, means lights. And Tumim means perfections. And every time they are mentioned in the scripture, especially in the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there's no description of them. Because it seems like they expect the listener or the reader to know what they are. So there's never any explanation. So now today, nobody knows what it is. They're mentioned in Exodus 25, 28, Leviticus 8, Numbers 20, Numbers 27, and Deuteronomy 33. Now in, this, in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, when you have two nouns put together like this, Urim, Tumim, it is, uh, it is thought that the first word, one of them is an adjective, and the other one making it emphatic or strengthening it. So it's, it's to be understood as, um, translated as the perfect light. Now they used the Urim and the Tumim to find God's will. It was, we know it was placed in the breastplate of the high priest, whatever they were. And they were placed there and they would help the high priest be able to explain what God's will was about a particular question. And so this perfect, it would give perfect light to the situation. We only know those things about it. So it's vain to really to speculate what they were. Someone say, some people say it's a black stone or white stone. Somebody, some people say different things. But we do know that the judgment of the Urim was always a true judgment. Numbers 27, verse 21. This light and this perfection is reflected in Jesus Christ. He is our true light who gives light to all who follow him. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and verse 9. And he stands alone as the perfect one and our high priest. Who, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Here's an example in the Old Testament where Christ's face shines out suddenly in the most unexpected and the most unlikely places. 
a passing reference to a genealogical register and a few priests who could not prove their lineage brings before us the perfect brightness and the perfect light of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is and who has the Urim and the Tumim, the light of perfection before whom all hearts are open, Hebrews 4.13. He alone can settle the question without a doubt as to our access and our right to communion with God and our worthiness of whether or not we are a priest of hood of believers and whether we are one of his or not in serving and blessing others with that perfect light that Christ gives to the peoples. Christ is a great high priest, not by genealogy from Aaron like we were doing here in Nehemiah, but from the order of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of, pre of peace, who also, Hebrews 7, 3 tells us, was without a genealogy. He could, he did not prove an earthly father. Why? Because he was virgin born. Every believer in Christ is called as a priest before him. And our right to the priesthood is contingent on whether or not we have been born again. And our names are written not in an earthly register, but in the Lamb's book of life. Even more, he keeps us fit for the priesthood. In the present tense of 1 John, the blood cleanses so that there never should be a cloud between us and God, but only perfect light. The anointing abides so that there is never a lack of supply for his spirit for service. 1 John 1, 7 and 2, verse 27. The third thing and the last thing here is shepherd leaders serve faithful people. That's verses 66 to 73. Uh, the whole company numbered, look at the passage there, the whole company numbered 42,360, and they list uh, 245 singers, 7,300 servants, uh, 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, 6,700 donkeys. And then it says some of the heads of families contributed to the work. The governor gave... From the treasury, a thousand drachmas, fifty bulls, five hundred thirty garments, and here the heads of families gave twenty thousand drachmas, twenty-two hundred minas of silver. The total of the rest given was twenty thousand drachmas of gold, two thousand minas of silver, sixty-seven priestly garments. And the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the temple servants, along with the certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. This is significant. Shepherd leaders serve faithful people. You see, there's a total of all these 42,000, just over 42,000 people who have returned from exile, bringing the wealth and resources that they had made. For example, in verse 68, a thousand derricks of gold is about 8.6 kilos of gold. In, and at um, last week's uh, going rate of uh, $1,779 US dollars per troy ounce, that's just over 492,000 U.S. dollars. And then in verse 71, the 20,000 drachmas of gold equal in U.S. dollars 9.73 million dollars. So that, these people aren't bringing small change. These people are contributing to the future of the nation. And, the, and then the silver was valued at just under a million U.S. dollars. So they had built the wall and now they're motivated to build the city. Have you noticed something here about the text? These numbers are very clear. 
so that anybody could go back and check Nehemiah to see what happened to those 20,000 drachmas of gold. You recorded 20,000 drachmas of gold. Where was that spent and how was that spent? And he will be able to prove it because how was all that spent? Well, it was put, he records it right here. Have you noticed how Nehemiah is very transparent as a leader with managing what God provided the people? In animals, in people, and in wealth. He managed the people, he managed the animals, he managed all of the wealth that was coming up. He accounted for all that he had been given to manage for the future of Jerusalem and the Jews. Great leaders are careful with goods and with money. It doesn't just fritter away a little bit at a time so that when you come to, to pick it up, it's gone. Good leaders manage it. They volunteer to make financial reports like Nehemiah did here in order to keep questions from coming up. They give of themselves as Nehemiah did. In verse, uh, we see Nehemiah himself, the governor gave a thousand drachmas himself of gold. And, and he, he was looking for the good of his own people and not their own good, not for his own good, not for his own pocket. Great leaders do that. And there were priests and Levites, verse 73, to, who were leading in temple worship, who were living in their own towns. Why did he mention that? Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. By living again in their own towns, it means that Nehemiah has used the registry to make sure that the people who came back first were able to regain their ancestral land that had been marked back for them Several hundreds centuries ago under Joshua when they came into the promised land. He was making sure that those people were receiving back the ancestral land that they had before the war. And their city was beginning to teem with life now for the first time in nearly 150 years. And God had rewarded the hard work and the determination of his people. And he provided leaders to restore worship. God is in the business of restoring our inheritance as we are faithful in serving him. In restoring our spiritual inheritance in Christ for sure. And sometimes also our natural inheritance. He provides for us both spiritually and physically as we prepare faithfully and in, with integrity and diligence, God will bring in the harvest. Even when we don't know exactly how He's going to provide, He provides just like He did here magnificently. People, not buildings and not walls, people remain the focus of God's work. People remain His focus and His desire and what He's after for continuing. That's where he lays the future. He lays it on people. Are you that kind of person? Are you a faithful person? Are you operating in such a way to prepare yourself to be a visionary leader, a shepherd leader, a servant leader in God's house and in his body? You do that by becoming faithful people, a faithful person as you serve in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to you for the life of Nehemiah and the way that he cared for people.
and how in the past, this chapter you show us it's about people. Even though we have to have walls and, and we have to have finances to do the work and we have to have people to do the work, it's about you and it's about people. And your focus is on your great treasure. And your treasure are men and women and boys and girls, human beings made in your image on whom you set your focus to develop them, to grow them, and to build a future through them. Lord, make us a people that are worthy of your work. And if there's anyone here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and is not yet one of God's people, I ask that you would bring conviction of sin and that you would bring an, a desire to submit that person, that person's desire to submit their life to Jesus Christ. Today, not to wait, but to become one of the faithful people of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Leaders take care of their people. That's what Nehemiah taught us in this passage today. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you will return to listen to Voices Along the Way. It's available on iTunes, on Spotify, and on several other platforms. My name is Gene Brooks. <laughs>